Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, The Unseen Hand of God, with a message entitled, Honoring Our Obligations. So turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 to 36, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Christians are commanded to bless the nations in which we live. And we know that ultimately our citizenship is in heaven. Well, we also know that we have a first loyalty to Christ, and we have a second loyalty to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've said it before, but I think it bears repeating. We have a greater loyalty to our brothers and sisters in Christ from around the world than we do to our fellow countrymen who do not know Christ. We are first and foremost citizens of Christ's own body, which is his church. And having said that, it's important to interject lest we, lest we misunderstand this loyalty. It is the calling of every single child of God to find ways of blessing the nations in which we live. Now, my nation, Canada, needs to know that I and other Christians in this land, well, we're actively looking for ways in which we can demonstrate our loyalty and our good intentions toward this land. We've got to pray for our government leaders, and we've also must assure them that all believers seek their welfare. And I say that because of the nature of Genesis 41. You know, we've been studying the life of Joseph, and today we begin with a new chapter that starts after two whole years. And that's to say, Joseph has been languishing in prison for about a decade, and he's been unjustly condemned for a crime he didn't commit. And then by the grace of God, he's able to interpret a dream for the king's cupbearer with the promise that this man will make mention of his dilemma in the halls of power. But nothing comes of it. Two more years pass by. Yep, Joseph has been given a place of leadership in the prison, and he has shown himself to be trustworthy and able. The warden has reasons to trust him, and I would assume he treats Joseph well. But the last chapter ended with Joseph remarking that, that he was in a pit. He's in a chamber in the earth where men like him are quickly forgotten and they're left finally to die in that place. And so after what must have seemed like a ray of hope entering into his prison, that with the interpretation of dreams, but now life quickly returns to the same hopeless servitude. And as we've noted before, Joseph remains faithful to his God and he continues to serve faithfully, performing his duties with excellence in the prison. But Egypt has forgotten him, and it provides him with no justice. I mean, would he now hate Egypt? But imperceptibly to him, God is at work. There is indeed all around him the unseen hand of God who has never wavered, bringing all things to his noble purposes. So I'm reading now Genesis 41, verses 1 to 8. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold... After them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. 
Now, we've noticed that dreams have a prominent place in the book of Genesis. Now, the ancients did think that some dreams came directly from the realm of the spirit world. Now, I put it that way because I'm sure that Pharaoh had more than one dream during the last two years. It's not that every time he has a dream, he's troubled, but the dream he now has has gotten his attention. And at this point, Moses, who's the author of our account, only gives us a basic recounting of the dream. And he will allow Pharaoh a fuller accounting when he actually tells the dream to Joseph. But as we've read, Pharaoh has two dreams on the same night. You know, in the first, attractive cows come out of the Nile. Now, that part of the dream is probably not that remarkable because, you know, in the hot Egyptian climate, well, cows would enter the Nile just to cool off. But the shocking thing that follows is that the seven thin cows ate up the seven fat cows. You know, cows, as you know, don't eat other animals, never mind their own kind. Well, we don't know what this looked like, but it must have been so shocking that Pharaoh woke up. And of course, that's followed by a second dream, one that seems even stranger. I mean, how blighted and diseased ears of grain could consume good ones or whatever that looked like. But anyway, the night is over, and Pharaoh's convinced that the dream did come from the spiritual realm, and he needed someone to interpret what it meant. See, our text says he he called for the magicians and wise men of Egypt. This was the first time we are told of magicians in Egypt. But later, as you know, in the book of Exodus, we meet magicians again. And on that occasion, Moses is doing miracles by the hand of God. And then we're told that the magicians of Egypt were able to replicate those very miracles by using their own secret or magic arts. And it's important to interject here that when the Bible uses the term magician, it doesn't use that term the way that we do in our day. I mean, we tend to use the word magician as a synonym for an illusionist. That is someone who's able to use sleight of hand or so forth. It's not magic, it's an illusion. But in the ancient realm, the world of magicians, they were men who were in touch with a spiritual realm and they used the power of the occult and they were able to perform great miracles. Of course, during the time of Moses, there came a time when the magicians, well, they could no longer replicate what Moses was doing. And at that time, the magicians become frightened. In Exodus 8, verse 19, it has them say to Pharaoh of that day, this is none other than the finger of God. They're warning him, you're now playing with God himself. Now, in case you're wondering what that possibly meant to the magicians, well, a little lesson on polytheism is probably in order. You know, ancient Egypt was a polytheistic culture, which of course meant that they believed and worshiped a multiplicity of gods and goddesses. You might have, even as I mentioned some of those names, say, oh yeah, I've heard of them. Now here I mean gods and goddesses like Atom, Osiris, Isis, Horus, Ra, and of course, many others. You are also no doubt aware that many of the pharaohs believed that they could become gods as well. But as is true of so many polytheistic systems, there is a vague understanding that there's a creator who's master over it all. And I think that when the magicians of Egypt during the time of Moses, you know, some 400 years after Joseph said, you know, we're worried because what's now happening is none other than the finger of God. It's that which they were referring to. You know, in a sense, ancient cultures understood the the spirit realm quite well. There are many gods were demons and they were also aware of angels. But the knowledge of the creator, that was only a vague reality to them. And so when these specialists in the spirit realm were brought into Pharaoh here in Genesis 41. They're plumbing the world that they know. 
and they're offering Pharaoh the best take on the dream that he has had. But clearly, Pharaoh isn't convinced by their interpretations. He's he's convinced that something of great importance has come from the spirit realm. And indeed, it is so important that his counselors are left without a clear understanding of what it meant. So we continue to read verses 9 to 13. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants, he put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dream to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Well, you have to assume that the chief cupbearer, who who you might remember was a counselor to the king, that he's hearing the ongoing conversation between Pharaoh and the Egyptian magicians, and he's probably in some form of an internal struggle at this point in time. I mean, does he speak? Well, yeah, he's got to. If he who had once been thought to have been disloyal to Pharaoh doesn't now speak, will he be thought disloyal again? And yet to tell what he knows, well, that'll require a bit of a self-disclosure about something that he's promised and then he's not fulfilled. And so he begins, I remember my offenses today. The Hebrew word that Moses uses to translate his words is, I remember my sin today. Now let's pause for a moment and consider. Yeah, it's true. The cupbearer did sin against Joseph, leaving Joseph two more years to linger in a prison. And I, and I have no doubt he suffered there. But if this cupbearer had not sinned the way he did, well, think of that. The timing of his confession, it's just perfect. He confesses at a time of crisis and there's no more perfect timing for Joseph to step out onto the stage of destiny. God has, after all, been directing all of Joseph's steps. Tom said, what Dr. John says makes so much sense and he's opened my understanding of the Bible. Thanks, Tom. Your words of encouragement mean more to us than you might know. This October, we're giving thanks to our Savior for his provision and blessing in the lives of our listeners. There's so much being accomplished through Dr. John Newfeld and the Back to the Bible Canada team. And recently, a group of ministry partners graciously provided a cumulative ministry pledge gift of $50,000. Now listen, this gift has allowed us to participate in a donation match where every dollar you give this month will be matched up to $50,000, allowing us to continue to change lives through the truth of God's Word. So to match your donation today, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca. Genesis 41 verse 14 describes what was at that time the most important moment in Joseph's life. Our passage simply says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And our passage uses the word quickly. You know, it's hard to know if Joseph knew why he was being summoned. It was common for Hebrew men to have a beard. Egyptians didn't. And that would probably explain why he needed to shave. Probably shaved his head as well. 
And I'm assuming also that the proper clothing, including the proper perfume for the body, was given to him. And we have to assume then that Joseph was instructed to look in a way that was acceptable to an Egyptian. And of course, he complies. And then suddenly, he's out of prison. I can almost imagine him stepping into the sunlight and then being taken most likely by a chariot or some other form of royal transportation right into the throne room of the king of Egypt. You know, my thoughts are again taken up in that one word, quickly. You know, the event happened with suddenness. He, he had no time to prepare himself. It's an, an instant. And then his world was about to change. Years later, when Israel was taken out of Egyptian slavery, we're told that they had no time to prepare themselves. They couldn't make bread with yeast. And so when God's salvation came, it would come so quickly, the bread wouldn't have time to rise. There is even here in Genesis 41, that that same suddenness, the, the deliverance of God comes so quickly. And here it is in just a few moments, the old drudgery of the prison routine is gone. And then in a very short while, surrounded by advisors and military men and the men of the magic arts, Joseph is ushered to the front, to the most powerful man in the ancient world, and he is to address him. So we keep reading verses 15 and 16. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Well, Joseph's answer, even while he had no time to think through what it would be or what he should say, it actually reflects what he's always thought. I hear you have a remarkable ability, says Pharaoh. And Joseph responds very quickly, actually, I don't. It's not in me. I'm just not like one of your magicians. I'm not superior to them. I have nothing to add to everything everyone else has said. But I'm going to go to God, and I am sure that God will give you a favorable answer. Now, that last part of Joseph's answer is, to say the least, well, it's a bit surprising. He hasn't even yet heard the dream. He doesn't yet know what it means, and yet he is sure when God reveals it, Pharaoh's going to be pleased. The literal translation is, God will give Pharaoh peace and well-being. I have in the past made mention of the reality that Joseph recognizes that God has made him to be a prophet. And amazingly, this man who has been falsely imprisoned believes that God has called him to play a role right now in blessing the leader of a country that has both enslaved him and imprisoned him. Again, we're reminded that that believers have a role to play in the nations in which they find themselves. Look, while it's true that there may be times when we have to say, you know, with the apostles in the book of Acts, that we must obey God rather than men. You see, while that's true, while it's also true that we can never say that Caesar is Lord, Jesus alone is worthy of a title that is above every other name. Yet, when we are given the chance Believers will always seek to honor the nation in which we live. It's a sacred obligation. And that's what Joseph exercises here. Well, let's go to verses 17 to 24. Then Pharaoh says to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. 
Seven ears withered, thin, blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now, of course, Moses, who, who writes this account, well, he's already told us before what Pharaoh has dreamt, but, but here, as Pharaoh retells this dream to Joseph, we notice that several things are added to the account that was given to us at first. Notice the contrast between two different sets of cows. Pharaoh describes the first seven as plump, attractive, and well-fed. Well, those were the kind of cows that Pharaoh would have been proud of. But as proud as he would have been of the first set, so was his revulsion of the second set. He said that there were no more ugly and thin cows that were ever seen that way in Egypt. And if you allow me to get ahead of myself... That's a good description of Egypt because Egypt was dependent not on rainfall, but on the annual inundation of the Nile. See, Egypt could boast something that no other nation around them could. They never had gaunted ugly cows. That was their boast. Their agriculture never experienced shortfalls. So we're beginning to get an idea of just why Pharaoh was so disturbed by this dream. And if the cows that represented wanton and scarcity would swallow up the good cows, what could that mean for Egypt's fertility, her agriculture indeed? What did it mean for her economy and for the future of the nation? See, I sense that Pharaoh had an ominous sense around his dreams. I sense he feared the worst. But we know that the interpreter of dreams has already said to him, don't you be afraid. There is a God in heaven, and he seeks your peace and good fortune. And that, I think, is the reason that Pharaoh finds such freedom to move beyond the the mere bones of the dream to a detailed and even frightening portrayal of both what he's seen and why he had called together the, the brain trust of the nation. And at that moment, all eyes move from Pharaoh to Joseph. This now is Joseph's time to speak. Indeed, what will he say? So we read verses 25 to 32. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that come after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt." The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. See, I notice that Joseph doesn't hesitate even for a moment. He tells Pharaoh the truth, both the good news and the bad. He doesn't nuance his words. He doesn't skirt the issue. After seven years of abundance, there will come seven years of famine such as Egypt has never seen. And there's not one thing you can do about it. God gave you the dream twice to indicate to you that the matter was settled in heaven. You can't negotiate this. You can't somehow use magical incantations to ward this matter off. It's a done thing. But it's what happens next that, quite frankly, it's shocking. Having given the interpretation of the dream, well, You'd expect that Joseph would now stand back and the king's advisors would step forward and they'd begin to work out what to do. But that's not what Joseph does. Having just given the dream, he now takes a very risky move. He doesn't shut up. He has advice for Pharaoh. 
And now it's time for Pharaoh to hear. Verses 33 to 36. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. Joseph essentially advises three things. Number one, appoint one man, a discerning man, who can direct the agricultural affairs and make sure he's wise and discerning, that is, he knows what to do. Number two, appoint local overseers who will answer to that man. And number three, institutionalize a nationwide food rationing system, do it immediately. You know, some have suggested that Joseph is cleverly now applying for the job. I don't think so. He's seeking to bless his nation. In spite of the anger and the betrayal that he might have felt, he knows what a man of God must do. All men and women of God are called upon to bless their nations. You see, if you're a believer, that's a template for us all. Use the blessing of God and bless your nation. Honor your national obligations. Do it in the name of Jesus. Christ will be glorified and your nation will be blessed. It is good for all nations to have a company of believers in them. It will be good for that nation when they allow those believers to bless them. John, I want to ask a, a very practical question, I think. You know, we live in a democracy, obviously, and we vote for a government, but often that government doesn't necessarily represent the Word, the Bible, what we think is biblical truth. How do we deal with that? Yeah, and, and of course, that's no different in that sense than what, what, what Joseph would have experienced in Egypt. Um, this would have been a leader who had a very different religious system. It's polytheistic. It's, it's against everything. But, I, you know, here's the thing. We have to remember, first of all, that all government, as Paul reminds us in Romans 13, is put there by God. And so it is God who put whoever is the leader into place, no matter how that leader got there. I mean, it could be a king or it could be a, you know, a prime minister, somebody that was democratically elected. It was God who did it, and therefore we bless wherever we can. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series in the book of Genesis, The Unseen Hand of God, right here at Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Psalms of the Seasons is our 2020 Back to the Bible Canada scripture calendar, and it reminds us of so many things. It reminds us of the beauty and magnificence of this creation and the beauty of God's Word. A uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Neufeld is placed within the calendar, encouraging each of us to open up our Bibles every day. This is a practice and discipline critical to creating a steadfast foundation for faith. Use your calendar as a reminder to engage in the Bible every day and use the Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in 2020. This resource is filled with encouragement, and it's yours for free. Just ask. Simply request your copy today. And perhaps consider a gracious gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Either way, call us for your free calendar at 
2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.